I'm Miranda Rake. And I'm Sarah Wheeler, and this is Mother Culture, where we take on motherhood through the lens of culture and culture through the lens of motherhood. We're recording this on November 1st, which is, in my humble experience as a teacher at a school psychologist, maybe the worst day to be a teacher, uh, as kids are not in great shape. But for teachers in Portland, Oregon, that's not a problem. Today, they're taking on a much bigger beast than hungover children, the district. This is the first day of a citywide teacher strike that is keeping some 45,000 students home, including Miranda's kindergartner. So naturally, we have questions, not just how does a parent survive a teacher strike, but what should a teacher strike mean to us as parents? What do parents and teachers owe each other? How does motherhood intersect with resistance and more? Luckily, we have help. Joining us today is Andrea Kemp Sellers, the beloved transitional kindergarten teacher at Emerson Elementary School in the Oakland Unified School District, where she is also a parent. Andrea grew up in Oakland and is no stranger to protest, and the two of us got to know one another on the picket lines of last May's Oakland teacher strike, which kept my son and her daughters out of school for seven days, and was one of the most painful and beautiful experiences of my life. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So um, before we dive in, we like to ask our guests as a way of illuminating the web of care we all live in, which is particularly relevant, I think, to today's topic. Where are your children at this moment? Who is caring for them right now? Ooh. So the husband is picking them up from the after school program because it's Wednesday and it's an early day. And luckily he had the day off and I am at home nursing a hurt ankle so so they're He's both still- in the after school program yes yeah yeah and that's free right in in oakland yes what what that's amazing yes it is a lifesaver um there was a long wait list initially so while i was at meetings and such they would be like in the classroom with me and i remember hosting parent teacher conferences And my daughter, um, at the time she was in kindergarten, she was doing cartwheels on my phone in the classroom as I was hosting on Zoom. And so I could hear her, um, but I couldn't quite like tell what she was doing while I'm hosting these conferences with these uh, with these families. And I got my phone later and she had just filmed a whole musical reel of cartwheels in my classroom while I'm in the background speaking to my new fan. It was magical. It's one of my favorite videos. That's, I mean, that's real life, right? That you, especially when you're an educator and a parent, right? Like you're tending to other people's kids all day, but you know, you've also, you gotta be a mom. Oh yeah, it gets real. Well, um, I'd like to start with Miranda today. Miranda, can you tell us more about the Portland teachers strike? What are they looking to accomplish? What are the vibes? How is Mm -hmm. day one going as a parent? 
Um, yeah, you know, I would say that, um, gosh, complicated feelings personally, just, you know, well, okay, before I get into my feelings, let's talk about the strike. So what's going on? So, uh, back in January, the, um, Portland Association of Teachers presented the district with what they want, which is um, a bunch of things. It's like, I think it's 10 things. Um, but what what has really turned out to be the points of contention over the last however many months that is, 10 months, I guess, um, is, it sounds like um, prep time, and I might be using the wrong terms, but like, you know, um, planning time. So they want 440 minutes in what would that be a per week um and, and then um they want i mean really the crux of it is they want a 23 percent cost of living increase over the next three years that seems to really be the point of contention i mean other things but i think that i think that is why we're on strike um seems like said to me um there's there are many things that they're fighting about but um so they asked for 23% cost of living increase over the next three years. The district responded initially with offering 7%. Uh, so, uh, and then now I think the district is up to having offered 10.5%. So, yeah. Um, and I think what as a sort of trying to follow it and, and understanding what is going on, um, there seems to be like a difference in understanding too about this rainy day fund that the district has that has gotten quite large and the teachers are saying you could drain this you could use some of this and you could give us some of what we're asking for which is like you know class size caps and um and this a little bit more planning time etc cetera, etc cetera. and um the district is saying, well, we can't fully drain it. And, you know, so it's, da, 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 it's back and forth. Um, and so it's just gotten really heated. And um, in preparation for our conversation, I was listening to our local paper, it's called The Oregonian. Um, and a reporter who works there who has two kids in Portland Public Schools, um, did a big Q and A responding to readers' questions about the strike, and um, one of the things that she opened with pointing out, which felt very indicative of kind of where things stand, is that both the teachers' union and the district have now filed complaints against each other with the state labor, like practices, you know, um, oversight thing. So, um, so it's really messy, and they're not getting along very well, um, to say the least, and. Um, even today, so we were supposed to hear by 7 p.m. every night about if there will be school the next day. And my son's best friend came over to play. And as he and his, you know, his mom and I were talking and we got a message. This was at like 1230 today that school is definitely closed tomorrow. And then also Friday. So I don't I I don't know. It's, did you stop bargaining? Did everyone leave? I, I don't know. And maybe, you know, it's hard to know what's going on. Um, so that's, what's going on. Um, 
And, you know, there were tearful hugs goodbye at, at um, pickup yesterday. And, um, you know, I think that my feeling as a parent is just that I think I'm struggling with, and I don't want to project it too much on my son, but he, um, today he seems really unsettled and I don't think it's just the Halloween hangover. I think it's the, and we've talked about it and his teacher talked about it. He was initially calling it the stroke. Um, he kept saying <laughs> when the stroke happens, <laughs> said, no, that's, that's not it. Um, and you know, my husband and I were joking and also serious about watching newsies with him so that he could understand this, you know, what a strike was in a fun way, maybe. And, um, we've taken him to protests before, um, in 2020, there was a lot of protesting going on in Portland and we participated in some of it with him and, um, but man, he is so unsettled. I don't think we're going to take him to the picket lines. I, I don't know. It's, I see, I can't tell what is, you know, he just seems a little confused. And so, um, it dredged up some pandemic feelings for me, TLDR, <laughs> um, yeah. of structural failures, once again, impacting an experience for my son that I really had hoped could be just quote unquote normal. And, um, so I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I just wish this could have been resolved and not come to this. Um, and I'm just bummed out and I'm tired of, of, you know, ushering him through things, um, you know, masked preschool. And then we had to leave that preschool because they got rid of masks and vaccinations were not available to kids under 12 yet. And so we moved to an all outdoor preschool because he had a baby sister at home and, and, you know, just all the things that we've all as parents weathered. And then um, this again, I mean, it's just, it feels again like society and kind of a broad way is saying we don't care about families and we don't care about kids you know and that's anyway i'm yeah. taking this yeah those far, are the vibes how I we feel. asked for the vibes. the vibes you gave us the vibes <laughs> that's yeah. the vibes i think all the parents feel that way and i think yeah all of our peers you know we we love our teachers and we support our teachers and we want they are not asking for anything unreasonable i think it's just like you know, how could they, not the teachers, but how, why can't, how, if we didn't get anywhere in 10 months too, how are we going to get somewhere in like five days? And then if we can get somewhere in five days, why did a strike have to happen? You know, yeah. is how it feels. I don't know. So it's just messy, just messy. But yeah, you well, know. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, Andrea. I, I certainly can relate to you know, a surprise for me in our strike in May was that kind of pandemic trauma coming back, you know, that like we'd already missed so much of school and having my kids home unexpectedly felt like it brought with it all that anxiety from from years ago, even though like, you know, I really were I had to work to update myself in space and time like schools are not going to be closed for a year. It's OK. 
but I had to kind of say that mantra over and over. And then I thought about all the teachers who also taught during a pandemic and they dealt with those disruptions and um, they have their own trauma from that too. So Andrea, I don't know if anything, you know, in kind of Miranda's experience around that or, you know, questions about your kid's reaction to it and, and how involved you get your child, if that brought up anything for you. No, it definitely brought up all of those feelings. Um, as a mom of three, when um, everything got shut down and having them all, like at the time they were, I had a fifth grader, um, a first grader, and then um, she was in preschool at the time. Um, it just kind of, when everything shut down, like we were in school the second week of March, and then we had to say, okay, we're going to leave and we're not, but, but we think we'll see you next week. And then we didn't see them next week and we didn't see them the following week. And those of us who had to teach through it, we basically had to learn how to teach through a whole other format that was like unheard of. Um, so the fact that our children are so resilient and they have gone through something that we will never go through, um, that we had never at that point gone through, um, was a, a kind of humbling thing to, to try to figure out, like, can our kids handle this? And then in the fall, we went back and it was all on Zoom and we were a little more tech savvy, um, but we had to teach how to our kids, like how to connect with these screens, like, and they got through it and they connected and they spoke to each other and they have these relationships. And now we're back in the classroom, but then we have these masks. So we have to teach the kids how to read emotions through like masks through this, like this part of the face and how to be safe with the mask. And they got through that. They were resilient. They were able to do it. And then to have to say that, to try to explain to them like what a strike was and why we were doing what we were doing um, and having to teach these strike lessons to five-year-olds so that they would really understand that we didn't want to be out of the classroom and we wanted to be, you know, with them every day. However, I can't afford to drive here every day. I myself commute from Vallejo to Oakland every day. And it's uh, it's about an hour commute in the morning and an hour and some change when school is out. So having to explain to them that, you know, I want to be here in this classroom with you every day. Unfortunately, you know, Oakland we were like, the, we're still like the lowest paid teachers. And we took like, we, we asked for a certain amount, but you know, you're never going to receive that thing that you asked for. And then, so we were shoot, we were hoping to shoot for like somewhere in the middle. Um, but having to explain that to like children who are so small, this is why we're doing it. And hoping that it's something that they understand, um, was really scary, but I feel like the like affirmation moment for us was when our families would show up on the picket line and they'd have their signs that they made, uh, OUSD, make better choices, which for me was like such a humbling experience that 
yes, I want to have you with me in the classroom, but if I can't have you in the classroom with me, then we can be out here like on this line and I can show you live action, social justice and how you can make a change, even if it feels like all you're doing is marching around and dancing to music. It was um, a time for community and for everyone to come together and mothering on the picket line and also teaching and connecting and waving as like our kiddos are honking from the car. It, um, I think, brought us closer. Um, and then when we were back in the classroom, we were, you know, that much closer to see that we had the support of our families because the news, um, they did a number on the, 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 Oakland Unified School District teachers and they it was a smear campaign and we got villainized um but in the end I feel like it worked out like we didn't get everything we asked for um but I think it was good to kind of have those conversations with our families ahead of time to kind of explain to them this is why we're going on strike um, and I think we started doing that like maybe six months before like the strike was even a thing just to kind of have that like um, to kind of front load that like this is a thing and it's happening. This is why we're doing it. We held like info sessions for families to kind of explain, because if you're not like in it, it's hard for you to kind of hold on to. Well, why are they doing this again? And so we had these like sessions where we would talk to families and we'd answer questions and we tried to um, get as much information out there as, as possible. Um, we didn't have the media on our side, but at least we could connect with like our school communities. And so I think that helped kind of clarify um, what we were fighting for. Um, but yeah, it uh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> so much in there, Andrea, that that's so interesting. I'm thinking about too, there was this one night, I think halfway through the strike, where the teachers at our school uh, offered a Zoom to parents just to kind of answer questions about the strike and try to kind of correct some of the things that um, they felt had been, you know, wrongfully put out in the media. And um and so a lot of parents showed up on this Zoom. I mean, all kinds of parents. And then, you know, we talked for about 45 minutes. And then the teachers said, you know, before we go, will you put your kids on? And so all these little squares of parents, a child or two would join and everybody went off mute. And, you know, a lot of the kids were wearing their pajamas. It was late at night. Like every parent, every teacher was just done. And the kids were, you know, resilient and disoriented. But then yeah. all these little kids just waved goodnight and, to their teachers. And the teachers were crying and the parents were crying. And it was, um, it was really moving. Yeah, you know what you're saying? Like, um, I think that... <laughs> You know, my gut knee jerk reaction of to, more like today, you know, like when I woke up and like we really aren't going to school and it was like my son just like to go in and talk to him. And I, he does this thing where um, I want to explain things to him and um, and he will make it really clear when he does not want to hear about things. And it's I've had to learn like over time, like 
um, largely my husband explaining to me, like, he's letting you know he's like overwhelmed and he can't like process what you're trying to tell him. And you just need to like leave him alone. And like, that is totally like almost verbatim what my kid is telling me. But like, sometimes I have this reaction as a parent of like, but I'm going to just, I'm going to, I need to give you all this context and all this information. And it's like, he's just, you know, and that's fair. Like, he's like, I think he can handle a lot. And then he's also five and then some things don't land, you know? And, um, but I loved your perspective about coming back into the classroom. And that is what I've been trying to focus on with him, trying to say, you are going to go back and you are going to see Miss Foster and you're going to be with your buddies and you will go back. This isn't forever. This is just for now. And like, maybe I need to think about that too. Like that feeling of return, um, like that it will happen. And like you're saying, Sarah, like I need to remind myself, like, this is not the pandemic again. I'm not like now this thing that I thought was going to last a couple of weeks is actually going to last three years. Like, that's not, that's what happened then. It's not what's happening now. <laughs> and like, um, and yeah, it's like, it's tricky because I don't want to push him to go to the picket lines. But like, I was telling him today, like I, his favorite, favorite teacher. I mean, he loves his teacher, teacher, but then his, they call it your special. Like each day you go to like PE or music and his favorite special is PE. And I noticed on Instagram that his PE teacher was at his school today, this morning on the line. And I was like, oh man, if I had known that he would be there, maybe it would have been good walk Griffin by and he could have like given a high five and that would have helped him feel maybe grounded like oh like these these grown-ups that are my grown-ups like they're just right here they're here and now you can see and have a more visceral sense of what's happening it's not like an amorphous um and yeah I think as a parent I'm just my you know I want things to work out and then I it's just trying to help him navigate it all is what I feel like a little bit um, like it's that feeling of, you know, am I doing this right? And there's Ooh. probably no right. <laughs> like, what does Always that that's mean? a danger zone as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Well, Andrea, what, you know, do you have language, you know, you, you gave us some about, you know, social justice and kind of making it concrete for kids about, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm your teacher and, you know, and I have to live in another city and, um, and it's a strain on me. Um, uh, is there other language that you use with a child that young to help them kind of understand this? Or, you know, as a teacher, do you think about to even kind of before a moment like this, are there ways that you're preparing a kid for, you know, a life of social justice and protest, you know, as kind of these cycles that, you know, people that are, you know, fighting the good fight go through? Well, I would say for like four and fives, their world revolves around fair and not fair. Like that's not fair. Like, you know that they know if something is not fair, it just cannot be. And so oftentimes if I have to frame um, something that is like a little harder to teach, like 
um, the like civil rights movement, I just explained to them, hey, you know, not that long ago, if your skin wasn't like mine or if it were lighter, I couldn't be your teacher. Is that fair? They go, no, that's not fair. And we can't like, oftentimes I know a lot of teachers who have to work a second job or a third job and we can't survive simply off of teaching. Um, if I wasn't married, I don't think that I could afford life. Um, and so just, you know, kind of framing it like that, where I wish, you know, Miss so-and-so could just teach, but she doesn't have enough money to be able to, you know, I don't know if she doesn't have enough money to put food in her house, but there are a lot of us out there who, oh, uh, I can't go out today because, you know, I don't get paid until we only get paid once a month here. And so it's noodles today for lunch or, you know, I didn't bring a lunch today. So let's see what they're having in the cafeteria. We definitely have to go without um, a lot. And is that fair that we're here? We spend our own money. Um, we are putting our hearts and souls into educating and caretaking and comforting um, and refereeing and coaching <laughs> and judging and lawyering, uh, just all the things that we take on in a classroom that we don't get paid to do, but we're here because we love it. Is it fair? They're asking for more money because they can't afford to live. Is that fair? And so using that language of fair and not fair will get you a long way. It's concrete for them. Like they know right and they know wrong. They know fair and not fair. And oftentimes um, I'll, you know, kind of hear like a parent question, you know, well, does my kid really know? And I have a kid and he, I, I'll ask him, I'm like, what happened? He goes, I can't not know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh, you can't not know. Like, well, did you do the thing or you didn't do the thing? Can't not know. Do you think you're going to get in trouble? And he kind of looks at me and I'm like, you're not going to get in trouble. You just have to fix the thing if he made a mistake. So then he'll, you know, have this moment of honesty. But children are these complex human beings who have all these thoughts and all these feelings, and they're trying to make it all make sense. And if we give it to them in a way that they understand, they're more resilient than what we give them credit for. Like we don't want to remove all of the stumbling blocks because we want them to be able to like persevere and get through some things like, oh, baby, I see you're going to fall. Let me move that. No, I kind of want to see what you're going to do. And I want to see if you can get up without me, which is scary as a mommy, because it's like, no, I want to help you. You're my baby. But also, like, how much of it do you understand? So like maybe having a conversation where he explains to you, you know, when he called it the stroke, it, well, what is that? What? What, what do you think that means? How do you know? That's my favorite kid question. How do you know? And to have them explain it, it'll kind of give you a sense of like what he's taking in. Yeah, that's yeah. so that's so helpful. I think um, I, I feel self-conscious about everything I bring to him, you know, too much 
we our last episode that we recorded was about helicopter quote unquote helicopter parenting and like sort of I have that feeling about myself that like that would be you know unchecked <laughs> that would be my impulse you know like you say to to shield and protect and um and you know my son is um deeply sensitive and can be sometimes um it comes out in ways that look like rage or anger you know we have all these things that we're worried about with him and of course he has shown me time and time again that he actually can do great I just have my own sort of protective worries and um but I think that we're talking me into taking him down to the school to go see yeah take him uh, down you know his people and I think part of what has been so wonderful about joining his public school or, you know, our local public school community is, and and what I wanted for him that we couldn't have in parts of the pandemic is this broader sense of community and connectivity to other families. And then particularly the teachers as um, other adults that he trusts and learns from and um that guide him towards becoming a person in society and um you know going and seeing them as in this in this role as a teacher on strike like is you know part of developing that relationship maybe that is so valuable to us yeah yeah it, you know, it's also showing him, you know, the joy of resistance. And, you know, as a mother, I especially, I think with both, I have a son and a daughter, I think with both of them in, in different ways, you know, it's important to me that they see that, you know, the forces that oppress me as a mother as a woman, I mean, you talked about the system, how this feels like another way that systems are failing parents. It's usually mothers that bear the brunt of that. And and I talked to my kids about that. You know, my son the other day, some someone said, what's a stereotype? So another one of his friends. And he was like, oh, you know, something that people think that's not true, like cats drink milk and mom should take care of the kids all the time. You know what? I was like, yes, parenting Oscar. But, you know, and maybe... I, you know, maybe I overwhelm him. Like you said, sometimes, you know, you're worried you do with your kid with giving him too much context. But, but the flip side of that is that I don't want him to miss out on seeing resistance as a call and as a collective joy, seeing that, you know, I'm on the same side as educators that we're kind of all you know, all oppressed peoples, people are talking about this a lot the last few weeks, kind of are united, and mm -hmm. that he should kind of stand by that. And so I think sometimes when we think about something we're afraid of as a kid, as a parent, right, like, I don't want my kid, I'm worried what this kid's going to be like for him, we forget about what they're missing out on, you know, and gosh, the picket line was a joyful place. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were donuts. So my five-year-old who didn't quite track things either, and she was still in preschool, she was like, I'm going for the donuts. 
we took her to preschool and dropped her off and took her brother to the picket line. And the next day she was like, not having it. She was like, I'm going to the picket line. You're going to take me to school late. I'm getting my donut. And maybe we should bring donuts. Oh, I mean, maybe that's what we should do. I was going to say, like, you got to do a vibe check for your picket line. Like Mm -hmm. we had every day was like a different thing. Mm -hmm. And so one day was like sports day where we all had jerseys and like another day, like there were so many different things. The food, oh, chef's kiss. We were hungry. (laughs) And the things that came it was it was magical. We had music playing. We had games like on like so it wasn't just we're walking around. No, there's like a chalk thing where you have to jump and you have to spin and you have to do the thing. Um, there were so many things to kind of keep us um, engaged and keep the morale up so that it wasn't just, you know, we're angry and we're out here because we're fighting. No, it wasn't that. It was, we're here for a reason, but just because we're here for a reason doesn't mean that we can't be in community with one another. Um, Because even though we didn't get paid, we all drove out there every single day. And for someone who's coming from Vallejo, where I have to cross a bridge and I'm coming from I think I spend about a hundred dollars on like bridge toll a week. And so just knowing that I'm taking a loss financially and I'm spending money to get to this place where I'm taking a loss from, I have like entice me. Keep like why why am why like I'll just stay home and support. But it was larger than that because I knew that my kids might show up and I didn't want them to show up and be looking for me. And so it's just like, okay, I have to be here because I have to show them. Like, I can't just teach about it. I can't just talk about it. I actually have to show them that this is what justice looks like. It's not, you know, angry. And, you know, it's, it, it's not just one thing. And it can, you can find joy in creating change and in these like movements. And so hopefully, at the school that, you know, your kiddo attends, there's some joy on that picket line. And if not, maybe you can be that joy maker or that joy bringer. Bring the vibes. Yeah, I love it. I, you know, I just, so a couple days ago, I started a thread, a text thread for our whole kindergarten class to do childcare sharing and all of this. And um, I realized that I could text that thread and just say, we're going to bring, you know, 30 donuts or whatever tomorrow. And anyone who wants to meet us there can. And um, maybe we just go for like an hour with a bunch of donuts and that could be really fun. And it looks like they were doing sidewalk chalk today. So maybe we can participate in that. And um, I think I love this. I think it's, you know, I got it felt, I think we, I mean, we literally got the message that there was no school today and the strike was on like while we were out trick-or-treating. So I think parents were in a state of slight overwhelm, like as it was, and then you get this message and you're like, okay. And you know, and you're getting home. And um, so I've just got to get my, my brain in gear. Um, get, get on, get on. Like, I like the joy perspective. I think I've got to, tap into that and um try to like 
model it for my kid. Cause you know, maybe he senses my own stress with like, oh, you're going to be bored and you're going to be antagonizing your sister. <laughs> Shenanigan. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I, th- I wanted to mention, like, as I was reading up sort of to get ready for our conversation and trying to understand um, just what is going on. And, you know, one thing that I ran into was the idea in a BBC article about from, I think, a year or two ago about sort of um, teacher strikes that are happening across the country. Um, and they drew a line to the financial crisis of 2008 as as um, a moment that changed and that greatly reduced like federal funding of schools in general and kind of this broad financial shift in our country and that maybe has now has had ripple effects in it. At least they said that um, funding has not ever returned to pre-recession levels. Um, and I'm thinking about that as as we head into maybe another recession or whatever you call this terrible financial moment. Um, and just sort of that's what I was sort of getting at with the structural, um, feeling the structures crumble around us and um, how, what is, so there's a $200 million gap between what the teachers are asking for and what the district is um, saying they can do. And so that's the number that everyone is talking about right now in Portland. And I think um, I emailed on behalf of the teachers, emailed the board and got a sort of a stock response, um, but long and and informative, but stock. And um, basically they were saying, you need to go to the legislature, you need to go to our governor. And, um, you know, I, I walked away with this feeling that like, that is probably true, you know, like that there probably does need to be more money coming down into our district, you know, in general. And also there is misspending and there is strange allocation and they should pull from this rainy day fund. And, you know, it's, it seems like it's like, yes. And like, it's just like all of this and, and thinking about the structure, you know, it kind of reminds me of like in a classroom when one kid is getting an F, it's like, it's that kid. And if 70% of the kids are getting an F, like maybe the teacher needs to reevaluate their approach. And it's like, if lots of districts are striking over the same issues, like maybe this is a structural problem, <laughs> you know, like maybe this is the whole country, like well, not you're right. valuing I mean, educators and yes families. And. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that is true. The country, you know, we're not families and educators are are not valued. There are larger systemic problems that oppress both districts and teachers unions. And so so can you kind of fight against that while trying to make your micro community better and spend what it does have, you know, more wisely and humanely? Um, it's hard not to get lost. I, I I had that experience with like, then I would look at the district and be like, but they're, you know, in a budget deficit. Um, and so how can you kind of just put one foot forward doing kind of a good thing 
um, and think about other things that you want that you think would affect change and, and model that for your kids. You know, like in California, we're we're really you know, there was a big push by lots of people, educators and parents um, a few years ago to to repeal Prop 13, which kind of in the 70s completely changed uh, the structure, funding structure of schools and and decimated our public schools um, and has kind of held them hostage ever since. And so, you know, that's coming up again. And I, I thought about that during the strike, like I'm going to put some energy into that um, because I know that this is greater than our district. Yeah, there there was this great piece I read today by um, Garrett Bucks, who's an anti-racist educator and writer, and he's talks a lot about community organizing. And he wrote this piece about like, you know, particularly about, you know, Israel and Palestine and kind of in the face of all of this money and all of this power and intense forces against you you know, what is it worth to kind of do your little protest? And he had this great analogy of a friend's dad growing up who folded a, a like an origami paper crane every week and sent it off to the government to protest the Gulf War. And like that, that as this little piece of resistance that like obviously did not stop the Gulf War, um, but you kind of do it anyway. And I, I like that for my community and I and I like it for for my kids for sure. So it, it's almost like the imperfectness of it is, you know, it's not a flaw. It's a it's a feature that that's just that is how these things work, you know, that there isn't really good and evil. And, um, you know, your little thing isn't going to be the thing that makes everything change. But it was a powerful experience. You know, Andrea, when you talked about going back to the classroom, it was really powerful, I think, for a community to get through that strike together um, for the parents and teachers. And not all parents and teachers, you know, agreed on everything, but to to weather it together. Um, and I don't know if, you know, the kids had any reactions to that. I mean, particularly at our school, they were pretty vocal. There was a lot of like little, little strikers. So I think they took some part in that victory. Oh no, they were, they were totally happy. Um, it, I have experienced like a few like returns to the classroom and this return to the classroom it was different because it was like confirmation that, okay, it's not like a pandemic, like we're back. Like we, we said we would be back and now we're back. Um, but it's weird because even losing that like seven days of school, I felt like after that, like the school year sped up and then it was over. And so it was just like, we mourned those like seven days of like not coming to school in the seven days of these lessons and we didn't get to this thing and we have to cut this thing short, but we were happy nonetheless that we were back in our classroom space and like things were normal again, well, as normal as they could be, I suppose. But there were um, some, some things where like we had to kind of concede to um, because we knew going into it, we weren't going to get everything that we asked for. And then um, like internally, we had to really figure out like, well, is this important enough to keep us out another day? 
or you know what is this issue exactly and are, are is this the hill that we're all going to die on and so a part of it you know was like we had to really have faith in like our team and we had this huge like i feel like the 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 folks who were in charge of um the strike stuff there were like a hundred members on that team and they were from all of these areas and they were um i have a few close friends who worked for the like early education piece and there's so many little things that went into what's going into this contract and okay this is our piece and then you got the high school side you've got like early education folks and you know we're all trying to get our our things that are super important to us into this contract and so a part of us like we we had to come to terms with we're not getting everything that we wanted and we asked for this much and we're coming and we're coming out of it with this and there are some things that we kind of took away from it. it's just like really like we have to do this now but overall i think though it's small compared to being out on strike another day because honestly nobody wants to go on strike like yes we made it joyful and we made it a beautiful place but i'd rather be teaching in my classroom with my kids like this is my routine. This is my normal. And I'm outside of my normal, but I'm outside of my normal for a reason. So it's just that, you know, and then seeing it on the news and seeing how they portrayed us and it, and like having to have talks with like the grownups was like the hardest thing. Like our kiddos, they were like ride or die. Like, yeah, we're going to strike. Like, you're right that makes sense to us. But for our parents, there was a lot of convincing for some of our parents that we had to do and to have these like lengthy conversations um, with like some of the parents, it was, it was challenging um, to kind of hear what they had to say um, and to try to separate myself as like a person, like outside of Yes, I'm your kid's teacher, but I'm also like a person who's trying to live and I'm trying to survive and I'm just asking that I be paid what I should be paid. Um, that they're just really uncomfortable conversations and I'd much rather be in my classroom with my kiddos. Like, I know how to talk to kids, that's my jam. But the grownups, like that was just the, the thing, like to try to maneuver to try to get them to understand it what it wasn't fair versus fair with you know them as opposed to you know is it fair and they're like well maybe and i'm just like what so it um i'd rather be in the classroom we yeah we i think picket line. that was something really clear like as a parent visiting the picket line that, you know, in moments of like where I wanted to kind of think of the teachers as others, you know, or as not taking my sacrifice seriously. And then, you know, the second you see, you know, a teacher, you know, and they, you give them a hug and they kind of fall apart in your arms. And, you know, you really saw that, that they did not want to be missing school just as much as you did.
Andrea, did you find that any of those difficult conversations, I mean, that's amazing that you had them with parents and that you are, you had the relationship with your parents that they could kind of come to you and hash that out. Did you find that those conversations, any of them helped strengthen your connection to parents in the community? I definitely think so. Um, there was one parent in particular, and um, I wasn't even her kid's teacher anymore, but I taught her kid uh, when he was in transitional kindergarten, and now he's in third grade. And we are still pretty close, but she was like one of the parents where folks were having like a hard time, you know, talking with her and, you know, trying to get her to like understand what the like issue was. And, um, at first, you know, me being a person, I couldn't understand like why she didn't understand. And, but then it, if it's not like your fight, then of course, like all you're hearing is like everything else and you're not making it like it's hard for you to see what someone else is going through if you're not going through it yourself mm -hmm. um and so i kind of took those opportunities to just really explain to her kind of where i was coming from as like a person and not just as like a teacher that lives at the school in this classroom and you only see me at the school in this classroom and so i think kind of explaining that to her that you know, outside of the school, these are some of the things that I'm encountering and I have to go through. I think um, having those conversations were kind of eye-opening for her. Um, and I hope that they um, gave her clarity. Um, me and her are still close to this day. So um, hopefully that kind of helped that we were able to have those hard conversations. And then now we can still see each other and give each other big hugs because I think all in all, um, our school community, we really do like each other. Parents like each other. The teachers like each other. The the parents like the teachers. The teachers like the parents. And we love the kids. And that's why we're there ultimately for the kids. So Yeah, I, I remember one parent in the strike who did end up crossing the picket line and, and sending their kid to school, something they just felt they, they had to do. Um, and but when the strike was over, they gave the school strike leader a bouquet of flowers to thank her for all of her effort. So I, I think that like allowing for that nuance and that complexity too, that that you can be in relation to one another and see each other and respect each other, even if you don't always do what what you know the other person wants you to do. I think for parents and teachers that that means something. And and I, you know, it's also one of the reasons I appreciate like a diverse public school community. I, I heard a parent um, just say during the strike, I was at like a birthday party, you know, the weekend between the two weeks of the strike and, uh, one parent, I didn't really know, just kind of, we were talking about the strike and just said, well, yeah, you know, that's why I took my kid out of the district. And I so got it. You know, I was going through so much, you know, pain and, and such a challenge. And, you know, my initial reaction was, you know, but they're missing out, you know, this is life. 
that, you know, things don't always work and, and you have to kind of model through with one another. Mm -hmm. I think that like, um, you know, one of the things that has come up for me and all that. So I went to Portland public schools myself and, um, my partner and I opted to put our kids in public school, but we also opted to pay an absolutely soul crushing mortgage to live, um, kind of near what is considered to be a, a really good school in the district. And, you know, so we're part of the problem, <laughs> but, but we wanted to be in the public schools and we are paying just crushingly to, to live near a good school. So, um, I think part of the, the feeling that came up was like, gosh, we have literally put our money where our mouth is in terms of being committed to Portland public schools. And this mess makes me feel like, gee, like, figure it out. You guys like work it out, you know, put some money on the table, pay the teeth, be real. Let's get this done. Let's keep the schools open. And like you say, like, um, and I'm in, I'm part of a union myself in my job at Rumper. And, but I think, um, the work of understanding what is going on and the complexity of each party's perspective and then even hearing parents kind of get into it on the playground a little bit when the strike comes up you know and and um there's this and as parent you know as parents just as teachers do just as i assume people at the district do like we all are juggling so much like personal demands and professional demands and financial strain and the financial strain right now is so intense on many of us and um but your point sarah about the messiness this is life this is what we need to teach our kids about this is what we need to prepare them for <laughs> um, yeah and and you know there was a point in the strike where my husband and I, we didn't feel like we could make any more sense than we had of what the different arguments were and who was telling the truth and who wasn't. And it just became that, you know, we were, we were there to support the teachers, you know, until we, until something really convinced us otherwise. And, you know, and we talked about how that, you know, that, there might be some things that, you know, we didn't agree with them on, but it was about kind of what we owed to these people that, you know, really are our biggest partners in the care of take of our children, which is, you know, our the most important thing to us. So yeah, I think there, yeah there just came most... a point where we were like, we're gonna go, we're gonna tell people, hey, I I, you know, I know it's complicated. I don't really know about that. And I can't figure it out. Um, and, you know, I can see you, you know, you really feel strongly about that, but I'm going to go to the picket line and be in the talent show, try to do the Cupid shuffle. Um, <laughs> though, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, not my greatest talent. <laughs> like, I feel like in a way that's wonderful permission because I think as a journalist too, I have this sense of mm. like, okay, 
I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to like, I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to talk to everyone and I'm going to listen to every podcast. I'm going to read every article and I'm going to understand every single element of this so that I can make an informed decision. Right. And then I realized I don't have to do that. Like I can just sit back, tell his teacher, we love her and we will see her soon. And we hope things work out. And I don't have to do that. I can just keep my kid at home and drop some donuts off and give some hugs. And, you know, it doesn't have to, I, I always love when I realize I don't have to figure this out. Maybe someone else is going to figure this out. And like, um, unburdening myself of that is wonderful. And then also like, you know, one thing that I read a single point and in my job as a journalist, I would never write an entire article based on a single fact, but in my personal life, maybe I can make a decision based on this. And, you know, it was that the superintendent earns over $300,000 a year. And I was like, excuse me, I, uh, that's, that's, crazy amount of money that's so much money to me and um that was in a way it's kind of all I need to know like that's a problem (laughs) I can see that that doesn't make any sense and so that kind of answered a question for me Mm. in a really definitely overly simplistic way but maybe that's fine for what I need to bring to the table here which is maybe not all that much other than some donuts and some hugs. Yeah, gotta bring donuts to the table. Yeah. Andrea, I'm I'm thinking too about, you know, you you grew up in Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. And so you so you are not a stranger to to protest and resistance. And you know, I'm thinking about what happens when we, you know, raise children um to witness the the fights that you've talked about, you know, you you want your students to focus on. And so what was that like for you? And do you think that shaped, you know, how you mother? Well, I would say um, as a kid, I am, um, I was a, a strike kid. I went through an Oakland Unified School District strike when I was in elementary school and I can report that I am okay. So (laughs) you can rest your fears. I think I was, uh, I was in the fifth grade when OUSD went on strike for like similar things. Um, at that point we had like a strike school and we got to see like this strike had went on for, and of course I'm a kid. So I felt like it went on for forever, but all I remember is that we went to strike school And we got to see our teachers and we got to see our friends and we were in community in that way because this, I can't even remember. And I'm sure it's written somewhere, but from my 11 year old brain, knowing that my teachers were on strike and I knew that, you know, there was a reason why we couldn't go to school. And I knew that we had to go to this strike school for a reason. I was okay with it as a kid. It didn't all 100% make sense to me, but I knew that it was the right thing to do. Also, my mother um, was uh, the vice president at the time for Local 250, which was uh, the um, SEIU Hospital Union. 
And uh, so she would be on the news every day um, talking about healthcare workers and how, you know, she has to, you know, strike for the rights. So this was all language that I grew up with. Um, and it empowered me as like a grown up to know that, you know, again, what's fair and what's not fair. Um, I feel like my mom probably was the one who like broke it down to me and my sisters. And I remember um, her being on the news saying, you know, I have four daughters at home and I'm a single mom and I need to be at work. But also, you know, I also want to work in a place that's fair and, you know, we're being treated fairly. And that really stuck out to me because oftentimes we'd be like, mom, you still doing that union work? But now as a grown up, I, I do understand like what she was doing and why it was so important. Um, and even as like a teacher, like having them like learn like what's right and what's wrong and what's fair and what's not fair and actually doing something about it, like putting your words behind it and how small actions can bring about big change. Um, I lived it. Um, and I'm still living it. And hopefully my children, you know, will have the same type of like connections to like change and like social justice that I do through the fact that they watch their mom walk on the picket line and they walked with her on the picket line. and They were a part of, you know, that strike thing. And they might not understand all the things that it's about, but they understood that there was something that wasn't right and a group of people there, you know, normal teachers did something about it and a change was created because they did something about it. So just your, your kid's going to be okay as a former straight kid. <laughs> He'll be okay. I believe you. I think, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah. I feel excited. I feel excited about tomorrow. Wow. We place from... Big... <laughs> We went from fear to excitement. That's a huge shift in, in under an hour. Nice well, work, Miss Miss Well, it was I'm so helpful. This I'm is here so for it. To yeah. hear, you know, I think there's a um my son's teacher is has been a teacher for 30 years. And um, you know, I we just adore her. She's like a superstar at the school. And um, you know, she has a button on her little lanyard that says working without a contract and then um but you know she and I know she talked to them about strikes and I know she read a book on Monday I think um and but um she's just very measured and she's very a little bit quiet with parents and um I think she would be my resource you know I would love to take her out to coffee and, and pick her brain about all of this but um she's kind of a person who like she's very warm, but she doesn't invite that. Or I have a sense that she's a little bit private or, you know, or I don't know if that would make her uncomfortable or, you know, I just, so I think um, I really appreciate having a teacher's perspective beyond, you know, what I've read obsessively from, from, <laughs> from our Portland teachers who are being vocal about it. But, um, you know, sometimes it can feel tricky. Like, are you prying? You know, is this comfortable for you to talk about? Um, sort of in those in-person relationships, at least for me as a parent, I don't know what is, you know, I don't want to put someone out of 
their comfort zone if they're not talking about it, you know? I feel like if she's wearing that thing, she is, that is a conversation starter. Like, you can't wear that without someone asking, hey, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So that might be her way to invite you in to, you know, have the conversation. Because for some parents, they're not ready for all that. But for mm-hmm. others, oh, you noticed this thing. Ask mm-hmm. me about it. And I can... <laughs> I can give you the answers that you seek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that invitation. Well, Andrea, we're so grateful for your time today. We have one last question for you that we like to uh, wrap up every episode with, which is what culture are you consuming lately with your kids? Ooh, what are, what culture are we consuming well, I can go first. I yes. we we got the newly released um third book in the Wild Robot series this week. That's uh-huh. Peter Brown series. It's almost like a meditation on existence and nature. Like it's one of those books I opened up with my kids and I was like this is going to be way too boring. Like the the whole first book literally like nothing happens it's like like there'll be a whole chapter that's just about like a beaver building a dam and uh and they loved it it's like such good writing it's really a beautiful kind of musing on motherhood um there's a robot that adopts a goose and uh so the third book is wild robot protects and i think it's got like a climate change um, kind of narrative to it. So that's a whole other area of of protest and collective action that that I'm excited to get my kids into. So that's been really fun, even though some nights they don't want to read like the good chapter book. They just want to look at this like awful Pokemon book that I keep trying to hide and get rid of. <laughs> just like They'll shove on rid of it. They'll find it. They can smell it. Um, I feel like for me, it depends on what kid you ask. So if it's my high school age son, it's all about the ladies, the ladies, anything, any advice on the ladies. And it's it's weird. It's strange Um, with my fifth grader who's 10. She's all about K-pop, all things K-pop. And she is um, wanting to get a CD player and she wants a record player and so that she can play these CDs that are from the olden times. And I'm just like, great. So that's her deal. And then my little, um, who is not so little anymore, she's seven. She is really into, um, we like movies and we watch all of these movies together. She is my snuggle bunny. And so anywhere I am, like she tried to creep down the stairs earlier and I'm like making eyes at her like, no, go upstairs. We'll snuggle after. But we are like popcorn movies. We just watched Hocus Pocus like right before. Uh, right. Classic. Um, so big movie watchers, me and that one. Um, and so I'm sure she'll have something for us to watch today. Oh my gosh, Hocus Pocus scared me so much when I was little. I remember like I was I I was very easily scared, but like it really scared me. Anyway, um, I'm going to guess having met your youngest daughter, who's in my son's class again this year, Andrea, I'm going (laughs) to guess that not a lot scares her. No, not (laughs) not at all. Well, 
No, she's she's pretty fearless. That one. She's uh, yeah. We 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 watch some things. She will say like if it's too much for her and stuff like that. But she is all about a good story. So if it's got a good plot to it, and it's got good dialogue and good character stuff, she's all about it. Like I fell asleep watching movies. We watched like mm-hmm. Monsters High. They have a part two that just came out everything is halloween themed right now because she's very much like a seasonal like person and uh i fell asleep on it and she watched the whole thing and could like recap all the things so that's what about you miranda well gosh you know i was gonna say i feel like we have to talk about the fact that sarah and i were texting about newsies in the context of the strike, um, the 1992 Disney blockbuster hit. Um, actually, it was not a hit. My husband pointed out it had 30% from critics and Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I gave it a thousand percent. Uh, yeah. And talk same. about CDs and records. I had the, I think I had the Newsies tape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got, I was visiting my grandparents in Ohio and we went to a mall in the middle of nowhere and I, found newsies at this video store and like convinced my mom i was like mom like i'm away from my best friend i need something in my life and so she bought me newsies which oh you had the movie i just had the soundtrack like on my little walkman all the time oh yes my best friend and i we were obsessed obsessed with this movie and like so last night we downloaded it so we could watch it with Griffin, my son, to help him contextualize the strike. You know, remember when Christian Bale writes strike on that giant chalkboard in the movie? And like, it's just, I mean, it's fabulous context for children. (laughs) Strike content. Um, So yeah, I'm hoping we're going to do a movie night and give him some context for What's going on? Um, Love it. Then he'll go to the picket line, like you know, with songs. Yeah, he'll be he'll sh- he'll show up show up tomorrow, like open the gates and yes. the day. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's gonna be great. Um, yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, as we talk about his teacher strike in the context of Newsies, like which character I should tell him is like his kindergarten teacher, and I can't decide. The burlesque I, dancer. I, we There's were like saying meta. We were like, is it with a heart of gold? Is it meta? <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. No, no. Make it, make it one of the main. Yeah. yeah. I think it could be Christian Bale. I think we just tell him, you know, it's cowboy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Great. <laughs> well, we have a lot of, uh, I think, fun stuff to consume tonight in our various homes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrea Kemp Sellers, for joining us today. That's Thank it. you for having me. Oh, we know you're you're like teacher times mother time is like every minute is precious. So um, oh, yeah. send send us a bill, please. <laughs> this was awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Thank it. you. It was nice to for, meet you. <laughs> that's it for today's episode of Mother Culture. Uh, see you next time. And like my mother always said, get up, get down. Portland is a union town. Woo!
Mother Culture is produced by Opus Knox Media with music by It's Electric. You can follow us on Instagram at Mother Culture Pod and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash motherculturepod, where for as little as five bucks a month, you can support our work and get access to perks like listener call-ins, themed playlists, Miranda's motherhood curriculum, and Sarah's no-fail parenting fortune teller. Think about it. That's cheaper than a Pokemon pack. <laughs>